Blog Talk Radio. All power to our people, African power to an African people. It's your brother, Chairman Yang and Krumah, Black Panther Party. I'm sorry for the delay, you know, the rigors and stress of everyday life trying to get on. But I'm, I'm, it's good to, you know what, it's good to be coming to you again, <clears throat> excuse me, on another Monday, what we do. Um, there again, this is the People's Black Panther Party, Independence Black Talk Radio, all about the independence. And your radio station an opportunity for you to express your views and opinions, share your comments and concerns, and just build with us. Today we're talking about, you know, today's topic, we're talking about what is the mindset of a revolutionary? What is the mindset of a revolutionary? Because we get a lot of, you know, we see a lot of the posts, we talk to a lot of people, and this word revolutionary, uh, revolution, has become so commonplace. It's almost become like a, a slogan. And it, it had me to wondering if we really understood the meaning of revolution and what went, what it took to the revolutionary, what went into the making and the developing of a revolutionary type and a revolutionary character. And do some of us even know that there is a such thing, that you must go through a transformation process, that you have to go through a type of rebirth, I think a lot of times the word revolutionary or uh, revolution has become synonymous or used in breath or in conjunction with uh, consciousness, with consciousness. But we understand, or black consciousness to be more specific, but we understand that consciousness simply just means to be awakened, to be aware of. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're taking any type of action it just means that your eyes are open or you become aware of some things that you weren't aware of previously or prior to. And this is all consciousness is. And we think that because we've been introduced to maybe some more African culture or maybe a different terminology or we become conscious to um, a different religion, a different spiritual system, conscious to just where of some more of some uh, more things that we weren't aware of before, that that makes us a revolutionary without going through the going through the revolutionary type or understanding what this revolutionary type is. First, let's understand what revolution is. Revolution is a complete and total change. It is that it is a revolution. It is to revolve. It is to turn around. It is just that. And revolutionary in the political sense means a complete and total change, a revolve, a doing away with old and in specifically speaking of these systems, these oppressive systems or these systems that are designed and targeted for specific people with the willful intention of hindering and obstructing the natural evolutionary growth. Like you've heard me say before, to break it down, them fucking with you. Them stopping you from developing in a natural sense, in a natural state. And that they have the intentional, the intentions, their intentions are just that. Their intentions are to stop this natural process. So, 
the revolutionary must be one that understands, okay, enemy, and therefore must understand tricks of the enemy and understand themselves to start to develop tactics and strategies to stop the rotation of the system in, in a direction that is harmful or destructive or not advantageous for their development as a people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Basically, I'm saying the revolution must first understand that this system is not for them, that this system was not designed for their betterment, was not designed for the empowerment, was not designed for the upliftment of any non-white people, any non-white people, not just the African. We see what happened to the Native Americans. We see what happened to them, the genocide, practice against them, chemical warfare, smallpox in the blanket, some of the most savage, I'm not going to say most savage, very savage and brutal acts perpetrated against these people in the name of white religion, in the name of right to claiming lands. And you take a people's land and then have the audacity to regulate a little segment of that land for those people. But one of the things I can say about some of the most of a lot of our Native American people, um, and they learned late. Believe me, you, they learned late. A lot of them did some Uncle Tom, Thomism, some Orioism. I don't think they, somebody told me they call them apples. I don't know how true that is. They're red on the outside, white on the inside. I don't know how true that is. But a lot of the Native Americans sold one another to where you see them in the position that they're in now. And we followed suit. So after appropriating, after taking these people land, after deceiving and murdering and maiming and robbing the native people of their land, they said we have to cultivate the land. And we're not going to cultivate it. We're not going to do it on our own. Let's find a way to cultivate it. You know, and this is just giving a, a summary of it. I'm sure many of us could go into detail. So they grab the African. And grabbing the African. You see, this is the first thing that the revolution must understand, the, the black revolution must understand, the African revolution must understand, is that you were not born a slave. You were not born a slave. Your history doesn't start with slavery. And that an African could never be made into a slave. So they had to make the African into a nigger. Hence the the niggerization process. They had to niggerize you and I. They had to. And niggerizing you and I didn't just start with um, the brutality. It didn't just start with the terrorism. It didn't start with the barbarity and the savagery perpetrated against us as a people. But it started psychologically. Psychologically deprived of anything that would note our sense of worth, that would remind us of a powerful, independent, free identity. We forgot what freedom was. And in that, they gave us these um, religious 
that made it, that, that gave us the understanding that suffering was piety, that poverty was anxiousness. Oh, Jesus, baby. They spit on Jesus, baby. It's okay. You got to bear that cross. So we began to think that this was natural. So the revolutionary mindset first understands that something is not natural in him. He looks to, he or she looks at nature and sees everything in nature flourishes and grows. And he sees it go through the whole process. He sees death. He sees autumn and autumn. He sees the leaves fall from the tree or she sees the leaves fall from the tree only to, only to give bud or make way for new leaves and new things during the spring. Revolutionary understands. So the revolutionary first understands that the very thing that's in their community is not natural. This is the first awakening. He or she is awakening to the natural state of African people. When they look around, the very fact that we as an African people speak a language that is foreign to us. But we become so accustomed to speaking English that when you say this is a foreign language, Africans, black people will look at you like you're crazy. African people, the revolutionary, realizes that the foods that we take into our body and the way we consume foods, the gluttony, the shoveling of the foods and the type of foods we digest, we start to understand our foreign our makeup to our African makeup. But the brother or sister who has been indoctrinated in his way of life, look at you again, as if you're crazy. So the revolutionary understands these things. Then the revolutionary understands that to, to be other than African is unnatural. The revolutionary begins to understand that this thing called integration, but a farce. See, the revolutionary, the mindset of the revolutionary to crave for this freedom. Though us in America may not have ever really had that full freedom to understand what full freedom, the right to practice self-determination, to choose your own destiny. I know a lot of us think we have. I know a lot of us think we have. And it's understandable. That's a part of the trick of the devil, you see. He gives you this limited freedom. He gives you a choice between A and B. Never C and D. You can either pick A or you can pick B and feel like you have a choice. But a free man or woman understands they not want A or B. I want C, D, E, F, A, G. And I should have that right to pursue those things. So the revolutionary understands that to integrate into a system that has been built and designed, has been built off his blood, sweat, Tears, pain, suffering, agony has been built on the complete subjugation of human of, of, of their humanity. We ask ourselves why we're uh, uh, revolutionaries because the revolutionary not only studies these things, the revolutionary feels these things. Like we always talk about the strongest emotion that a revolutionary can have is that emotion of love. So a revolutionary feels these things. A revolutionary can sit back and, and think about in history 
antiquity, antiquity, to go back and think about a child of the age, the tender age, being snatched from their mother and sold as property to someone else as if it wasn't human life. Husbands separated from their wives. But see, we become so detached to ourselves, we're not even moved. These images, by the mere mentioning of these things, should send shudders down our body. It should make our spine tingle in horror. Can you imagine your child being snatched from your arms, being taken from your home, to possibly, quite possibly, never be seen again? This was horrendous for some women that when they birthed babies, they would grab them by the ankles and bash their brains in rather than subject them to the horrors of slavery. This is the history, your history, my history, the history that a revolutionary understands what goes in the making of a revolutionary. Feeling that, that energy of the ancestors, contemplating that, based on that, saying never again, standing why did I want to integrate into a place that found that justifiable, found it okay, and, and made laws to justify such brutal treatment of human beings. Why would I want to integrate into a place like that, who found that all right to do? And when you and I bring that up, say we're revolutionaries, we don't want to be a part of, of any people that would treat us as such. They call you racist. Are you an animal, a hater. You're a hater. Aren't we all human? Why are you hating? When did you suddenly have this vested interest in humanity? Aren't we all human? When did you become so passionate when it threatened the way of life? When the revolutionary says, you know what? It's not about hating you. It's about understanding that we have resources and we have everything we need in our communities to succeed, be self-sufficient, to be independent, that station with you would destroy us as a people because we would be integrating into a predominant white culture. Like I said before, you already speak English. Your African self speaking English, like an Englishman. Your beautiful black self. So to integrate into that would destroy your coach. You would get so, we get so far gone that we, they even put the speech of Dr. King in us. We get so far gone that we don't even look to our black self and raise the black self up. He say, there'll come a day when you won't be judged by the color of your skin, but the content of your character. You're the only person in the world that fights to take off the shackles of your blackness. You wear your beautiful black skin as if it's a disease. The revolutionary understands that this is a blessing. This is magnificent. That this is what separates me from the rest of the world. That this is what makes me unique. That this is what gives me an identity. That the skin ties me to a homeland, ties me to a history and a people. 
But the African here in America, oh, we've had a number done on him or her. Oh, we've had a number done on us. We go through any lengths to separate ourselves from that, to be removed from this beautiful blackness. We teach our children, there'll come a day when, when they, people look at you, they won't even see black. They just judge what's on your inside, baby. Come a day to remember you black. There'll be a day when they wish they were black, like they do today. We're the ones running from it. And they're running to it and capitalizing off of it. Rap is a is an international phenomenon. Hell, they break dancing in Japan. Don't care where you. They're emulating you, and you're emulating everyone else in the world. And you're not emulating the power structure of the social, cultural, economic power of everybody else, but you're emulating their culture, but not the advantageous parts of their culture. So the revolutionary, this revolutionary mind says that there's something wrong when we don't want to be ourselves. So out of a love for identity, out of a love for their ancestry, out of love for their heritage and their culture, out of love for their native homeland. They speak out against multiculturalism. They speak out against amalgamation, totally being consumed and taking on the identity and culture of other people. They speak out against complete and total integration. Especially integration where you have integrated like we've done now, and only thing we've integrated is our economic support. The only thing you've integrated is your economic support to aid and to add to the capitalist system that keeps you oppressed. You may have integrated some entertainment. You niggas are good for entertainment purposes. You can dunk a ball, make a few nice songs and stuff. It's, you know, let's integrate your entertainment. But to do the self, the revolutionary is a self-determinant. The revolutionary says that I won't be content until my people are free. The revolutionary, the revolutionary, especially the African revolutionary, if they have a long-term goal, aim, or objective, I would recommend and strongly say that the revolutionary should be an African communalist because the studied revolutionary understands that Individualism is a Eurocentric trait, is a European trait, and that individualism feeds the slavers. How do you think they made the slaves? They had to individualize you. They had to break up the tribes, separate you. You can't speak the language that you knew to your brother. You may plot an escape. You may feel that kinship, that connectedness. It may bring back. Or it may you they would never be able to break that strong sense of culture between two men thinking, between two Ashanti, between two Fulani or whatever. So they had to separate you individually and they reward a few of you and punish a few of you. They understood that individualism led to slavery. But the revolutionary understands. The revolutionary understands that together, communalism, we can make it. The revolutionary understands that it's only together 
It's only a collective mindset. It's only getting away from this capitalizing on one another's misfortunes. See, that's what they do. You know, that's what capitalism is. This so-called free market to capitalize on your misfortunes, to play on the supply and demand. So you can see, we've seen it in its worst case scenario where you've had natural disasters and you go in the store and a dollar bottle of water is 10 and $20. Capitalism. There's no accountability or responsibility to the people, a so-called free market. So you capitalize on the hungry. You capitalize on the impoverished. You capitalize on the disenfranchised. You know you got to eat. So you work them. 39 long hours, just short of 40 hours, 30 and a half hours, 40 hours, so you don't have to hire them full time. Give them benefits. Too many loopholes. The revolutionary understands that collectiveness, pulling together, changing the mindset, getting out of a consumer. The revolutionary is not a consumer materialist. Revolutionary only that are beneficial for the advancement of his people. Only those things are, that are necessary for his family. Am I saying don't enjoy yourself? Enjoy yourself. Enjoy life. But responsibly. Responsibly. You, we have, the revolutionary is not bedazzled by everything that they dangle in front of him or her because that revolutionary type, that revolutionary personality understands what it's really all about. That revolutionary type of personality is content with them. It's content with being a revolutionary. It's content with being African. Your brother. Chairman Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party. This is Independence Black Talk Radio. You can press 1 to chime in, to come in, question and comments when we discuss with you. Give out our phone number, our, our, national, uh, our national number, which is 888 888-595-7277, 888-595. Seven two seven seven, People's Black Panther Party National Line to contact us. And don't worry, I'll give it out again through the show. We can also be contacted at People's Black Panther Party at gmail.com. Yeah, People's Black Panther Party at gmail.com. Let's go to our phone lines and open up. Revolutionary greetings, Brother Yanga. This is Kalika Baruti Shakur with George Jackson University. Revolutionary greetings, Sister Baruti. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Just got off of work and uh, couldn't wait to get off of work to listen to the radio broadcast. You know, the broadcast, it kind of reminds me of uh, Radio Free Dixie with Robert Williams. And this broadcast is, I don't know if you know, but it's a very, very powerful broadcast. And I I, I wish with all my might 
that this broadcast, I just have a vision in my head of this broadcast just blaring through the speakers. You know, a lot of countries that undergone uh, socialist revolutions in the past, what they had to do to maintain order, to maintain the commitment of the people and the passion to protect the society that they created, they would broadcast revolutionary ideology and political education to keep reminding the people of their responsibility. And that's what you're doing right now. And I just wish that I could just blur it like just everywhere. I just, I really wish that I could because it's very, very powerful. And uh, I don't know exactly where the beginning of your topic started, but it sounds to me like you're discussing um, the role of the revolutionary or the uh, personality, different things of that nature. What type of man and woman is needed to get certain things done. And Kwame Nkrumah, he says that uh, Africa, African liberation, needs a new type of citizen, a man and woman who is uh, free and rid themselves of servitude of wealth, servitude of wealth, in a manner of, like you said, consumerism and, and things of that nature. It's very, very important that we sacrifice certain things, but... What a lot of people don't understand is that those ultimate sacrifices will create a greater type of wealth. You know, a collective wealth is far, far, far more qualitative than individual wealth. Because just say, for instance, a person acquires all of this wealth. They got all these nice houses. They got these nice cars and buildings and clothes and all of these things. Well, we live in a society where individualism exists. And so in, those types, in this type of society, when a person has that type of wealth, then people who don't, they get infuriated. They get jealous. Yeah. They have all of these different yeah. tendencies that will come about. And you have to struggle and contend with those tendencies. And see, scientifically, that's going to happen because whenever – Somebody, it's just like if you go to a primitive state of being, if it's a cold outside and you got a coat and I see you warm and you chilling, well, I'm going to want a coat too. Well, mm-hmm. if I don't know how to produce my own coat, then more than likely I'm going to try to overpower you and take your coat. That's right. But see, when we practice communalism and when we practice a higher stage, everybody has an equal distribution of wealth and everybody mm-hmm. collectively puts in that process and see that's what we are right now we have to empower ourselves economically and with our resources and so forth and when we collectively see okay we're doing this work we're putting this in everybody eats there's nobody that goes hungry when 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 you in when you in africa when you in africa you can be a stranger walking on the side of the road but people know you you're going to come and put your hands in and eat but there's a requirement. If you are if you are devious, if you are evil, uh, manipulative, or a person who doesn't have certain principles and values, they're going to shun you out. If you're not known for making your contributions in any type of a way to that group of people or that society, they're going to push you out of the uh, circle. So yeah. that says, too, 
Well, we got to be an upright type of person. We got to be morally correct. So our principles and our morals are our guiding light to how we move with one another to have that uh, luxury, that comfort, that wealth that we can collectively share. So it's important, and I'm glad that you are reminding people of that moral responsibility because that is the area that we short of. There's a lot of other mm-hmm. areas, but we always can improve, and who we are as an individual, you know, makes a great, great difference as far as saying, okay, well, I'm a revolutionary. A revolutionary knows that they're always a student, that they're always yeah. developing themselves. I can say I'm a revolutionary, but knowing that I got work to do every single day because there's always opposing forces that exist in nature. So you always continue with the opposite of something. If yep. you're good, Absolutely. you can potentially be bad with whatever forces that come in existence with you. So our morals and our principles are our God and forces. And as in Krumis Tereus, we have principles. One of them is collectivism. One of them mm. is egalitarianism, yes, understanding yes. how to uh, equality. One of yes. them is being humanist. Hum- one thing Humanity, that we understand yeah, as, yes, one thing we understand as a group of is that don't mean that I hate everybody else. I'm a humanist. I understand mm. that humanity has to have some harmony in it. Any type of opposing forces, I have to battle them for humanity. Yeah. For for that to be harmony, it's an overall harmony. So those right. type of principles there, you know, we understand dialectics and historical materialism. You have to start yeah. understand scientific socialism. All of those things so we can see how we're going to move. But at the root of it, all of those things are principles. And we need the upright type of man and woman who is free and can rid themselves of the need of uh, uh, gluttony, personal self-indulgence mm. to spark what needs to get done and become a service to the people. So, again, I just say thank you for Because for me, I don't profess to know everything, but, you know, sometimes when you get a boggle down with work and different things, you don't get a chance to study like you know you should study. So just mm. listening to some of the things that you're saying reminds me of, Things that I'm that are in the back of my head, but it reminds me. Okay, this is what I need to do. This is how well, I need to be. It's a reminder, so I appreciate that. Man, no problem. That's what we're here from. You know, that's one of the things I, I, you know, I consider myself. I consider myself a the town Christ. You know, a lot of us know these things. A lot of these things are innate in, in some of us that whether we knew it or not were passed down from our grandparents, from ancestry, our predecessors. And some of us, like Sister and myself, uh, is, you know, who have this understanding of socialism, that some of it is a little more steady. All of it is still within us. So it's just a reminder, very reminder benefits the believers. You know, so we, we get these reminders. And when we dig, and this is what the revolutionary, like she said, the revolutionary is understand these opposing forces. So revolutionary is a very natural, a very, it is a very natural thing. It's natural to evolve. It's, it, it's, it's natural to want to see better for, for, for humanity in itself. 
like she said, there's some principles to our uh, political ideology. And one of those is humanism, egalitarianism, collectivism. And he said, we want to see equality amongst the peoples. We believe in the humanistic aspect. And I'm so humane. I, I don't even believe in the mistreatment. A revolutionary doesn't even believe in the mistreatment of animals. They understand the balance with the ecosystem. You see, these are what revolutionaries do. But it is what ends up happening to us if we don't defy. This is why we have revolutionary on the front of for the People's Black Panther Party, revolutionary black nationalists. Because we have these white leftist groups or these white revolutionaries come in, which are powers to oppress people. But they, we have to understand, like the sister was saying, these opposing forces, that some of them benefit, if not suffer from, the mentality of white privilege. It is so, this white privilege thing is so sublime. It is so subtle. It is so you know, underneath that if we're not careful, we miss it. A lot of us give them white privilege. Watch your attitude towards Europeans as opposed to African people. I've said this before. You've heard me say, you can go out and get this service in a white restaurant or in a white place and be so forgiving, so tolerant. Oh, you're just the most beloved, benevolent, uh, uh, forgiving, gracious creature that God has made that the most High has put on earth. Oh, it's okay, Betsy. And receive some service that is, is less to par, less to your standards, to your taste. From a black business, and the first thing you all out, that's why I don't do business with niggas. That's why I don't spend money for niggas. So this white privilege, even, it, it, it is so subtle and so ingrained in the fabric of society that we succumb to it. But the revolutionary black nationalist says, in order for me to be a better human being, I must first be a better African. I must be true to myself. The first resistance, the first revolution must start with inside of me. Like the sister said about the opposing forces. I must judge those things inside of me. And I must have compass to measure my morality. You see, truth, right, evil, good is relative. Truth is relative. My truth is not the truth of my enemy. How can it be? My enemy believes that they have a right to live in the manner which which they live. That is their truth. It's futile for me to come and beg and cry to my enemy to try to get to see my truth. How are you doing me? You're doing me so wrong. Boo hoo boo hoo. That truth is not relative to them. That truth doesn't serve them because they're talking about their survival. Now, what they may do is appease you if it threatens their survival, if unrest threatens their survival, if protest or armed revolution, armed conflict, bloodshed, anything that will threaten their survival or hinder their progress or cause dis-ease, then they may throw you a milk biscuit. They may throw a dog a bone. But that's, believe me, that is only to further their cause. So the truth that we use 
the morals and ethics that we use, the compass should be that of black liberation, African advancement and empowerment. Those should be the very things that we use as a foundation of judgment. It would be futile. How can you use a system? How can you talk about getting your money up and get this paper and get and reinvest in a system that is historically and currently still exploiting you and other people in third world countries and minorities? How can you and call yourself a revolutionary be cool with this? How could you possibly be cool with it? How could you? They say, well, those ain't my kids over there doing child labor with Nick Air or whatever big company goes over there and exploits these children for 10 cents a day. They say, well, you know. Oh, in the name of materialism. It ain't about, you know, fight for everybody. I don't fight for everybody else's cause. It's not about fighting for everybody else's cause. It's about, like the sister was saying, being moral, being right and exact. Things and being right and exact, you must be right and exact to start to shake off this sickness and this blackness that has permeated our hearts that we can't see clearly in order to be able to judge and see the perversity that are affecting us as a people. That this thing has gotten so deep, that it's become so deep that we don't even understand the sicknesses that we perpetrate on one another. So the revolutionary is a warner. The revolutionary is a town crier. This is what the revolutionary is. The revolutionary is not always the most beloved in the beginning, especially when the masses of people have been indoctrinated to hate themselves, so they're going to hate and despise anyone who comes along and points out the errors in our living ways, the errors in our social, cultural, economic conditioning. They feel like that they're going against their way of life. But the revolutionary is not just one to come and condemn. The revolutionary is not just one to come and condemn your religion, to come and condemn your diet, to come and condemn uh, your housing. The revolutionary says this is not right, but this is how we can better that. This is not right, but this is how we can better that. So programs are created, like my national chief of staff was so eloquently, man, breaking it down wonderfully. When he told him, well, I'm going to have to get some classes, his brother, to teach some classes on some of the things that he expounds on. Just wonderful. I mean, absolutely wonderful. And when he was talking about the difference between a program and a project, so the revolutionary comes along to implement these programs. First, just in case you didn't hear that, show, he said a project is a task taking on for the short term. It's addressing a specific issue. But a program not only addresses that immediate issue, but it also has design to develop and to mold and build and create either a type either in the person or in the program itself 
for further use, for further down the line, it has longevity. And the revolutionary knows this. This is why the revolutionary type is a multifaceted type. The first time I heard what a revolutionary was came from Chairman Kahar, my Abu, my father. And he said, son, never forget this, that the revolutionary is what the people need a revolutionary to be. I said, what do you mean? He said, the revolutionary gangster in, in whatever the village needs, if the village needs a teacher, the revolutionary can put down the gun and teach. If the village needs a farmer, the revolutionary is a farmer. If the village needs a doctor, the revolutionary is a doctor. And the revolutionary will pick up his or her weapon to defend these institutions. We start to forget the many hats that the revolutionary must wear because we have forgotten what the objective is. And the real revolutionary never forgets what the overall objective is, and that is complete and total freedom from an political government. The revolutionary is there to fight for the right self-determination, the natural advancement of a people. The African revolutionary is there. And the African revolutionary understands that this takes work that this is an ongoing process, that the revolution is not an event, but a process, that it must be something handed down to our children, that it must become a part of our culture. This is what I'm always instructing our minister of culture. When he and I talk, he said, well, what kind of culture? What tribe? What part of Africa? I said, I don't care as long as it's a revolutionary culture. Go from the revolution in Africa to Haiti. It must be a revolutionary culture. We must embrace a, embrace a revolutionary culture. It doesn't have to be a specific culture, but every culture that you teach, every aspect that you teach of it must contain the elements of revolutions and geared towards self-determination and independence, fighting off the shackles of oppression, fighting off the shackles of colonialism, fighting off these shackles. It must, it must stoke the desire for freedom, and it has to be so prolific, it has to even be more profound for us as African people in America because the freedom, if we thought we had freedom, has been very limited. We truly don't understand what this freedom tastes like. Because the people who have tasted freedom would not allow themselves to be in the position that we're in now. So I defy you to tell me we've been free. We wouldn't allow the shit to go on that takes place now. And people who have really tasted freedom. It reminds me of, of a line from Roots. One of my favorite movies, one of our minister culture's favorite movies. It's always quoted. Fiddler comes in and Catch Kunta Kinte and Kunta Kinte is broke, breaking the chains. And Fiddler says, Nigga, what Guinea and what you done done? Now you're going to get Fiddler in trouble. Fiddler live in the house. Fiddler eat masks of scraps. Fiddler even wear masks of old clothes. That's good life for a nigga. Kunta, now you're going to get me in trouble. Kunta Kinte looked up at Fiddler. Being from Africa, not understanding, having empathy for his brother. I feel you. I feel you, Fiddler. I 
you can see it in the look in his eyes. Damn, it is fucked up. You know, it's bad for you. I understand. Spoke truth. Spoke power. Gunther looked up at Philly. He said, change not right for nigga, Fiddler. Change not right for nigga. They didn't feel right. They don't have him right. What's this weight on me? What's this shackle holding me down, keeping me in a place? What is this? I don't know this feeling. I can't, I can't acclimate. I can't quite get right in the mind and in the body, in the soul, in my spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm yearning. I had to break them. It was unnatural, you see. So towards the end, Fiddler asked him, after seeing him to run and rebel and get his foot cut off and get beat and maimed and still had this desire to do what Fiddler and the rest of the house niggas or the colonized Negroes, not blaming Fiddler, he was conditioned. He was made into that. He was a nigger. He was made into a nigger. He asked Gunther, he said, what it like to be free, Guinea man? What it like to be free? He had never known. Time you that even after your foot has been removed, that you still take the chains and run through it and run for it. What is it? What is that feeling? Excuse me. And the revolutionary gets a, a, a taste of that. It is in the revolutionary study and in their contemplative state, in their meditation and in their thinking on the ancestors and wondering what it's they start to feel in them and they know. I may not quite know what freedom felt like, but I know this isn't right. This isn't right. My people being murdered and maimed in the streets is not right. Telling and he's telling them and he's tapping. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And to be murdered on camera. And there'd be no recourse. It's not right. The revolutionary is upset by this. They're moved to action. So we seek out other like-minded brothers and sisters that say, what action can we take? The revolutionary is true. Oh, the revolutionary is true. The revolutionary is, 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 is cunning. The revolutionary is one who evaluates. They're strategic. They weigh the option. They don't give in just to blind emotions. They don't give in to letting their ego be fed. Therefore, leading to sensationalism. And I'm not knocking my armed groups. I say that I advocate defense. But when you're marching and stepping and prancing with no aims or objectives at the end of that marching stance, I ask I question. What's happening? What are we doing it for? So the revolutionary starts to be shrewd and they start to develop a people's militia. Training our people how to defend themselves, how to protect their communities, how to protect the institutions that they're building. And all going back to what the sister said, based on the morals based on ethics, being realistic about our goals and 
and, and, and what we're trying to accomplish and achieve. Let's go to our phone line. Four four six four one seven. You're open. How you doing, brother Yanger? This is Sister Nandy. Hey, Sister Nandy, how are you? I'm fine. Um, I was listening to you. I just wanted to <clears throat> touch bases on a few things. You are absolutely right about the revolutionary mindset. You know, a lot of the people you know, first of all, like we always tell them, a revolutionary mindset will understand about telling people the truth, understand and accept the full responsibility to protect, love, live, and also die for the people. We already got to understand that the things that has happened to us generationally was a curse in order to, you know, put our mind frame in a different situation so that we can worship those that we also enslaved long before now. That's why they flipped this mindset. So we have to know that the revolutionary, you know, as far as our mindset should be, the revolution of the oppressed must be taken, you know, through a strategic and also a good planning by building a solid military. Those are one of the things that I wanted to touch on. Um, I'm going to be very brief. A revolution will not be televised. we got to understand that. These people, the media, control everything that goes on. They tell lies visually in order to keep the level of slavery instilled from every generation all the way through modern day. So we got to understand that the uprising, as they call it, but we consider it to be riots and us getting tired and fighting back, is too raw and uncut for it to ever be televised. So we must take this globally in the streets. Um, last, you know, I, I don't want to take up too much time on the show, but, you know, we got to also understand in a revolutionary guerrilla warfare, there are no rules. We got so many rules and too many denominations of things that we're following, which leads to my last comment. A revolutionary at this point, considering everything has been given to us from the Eurocentric era, although we know we were the true Europeans and we need to teach that and our things was hijacked. However, until we get that deep, we need to make people understand the only thing that we can define ourselves by is being a revolutionary. We don't know what religions we are following. All of the religions, like you spoke about, is a very big issue when everybody's God or Jesus died on the 25th. I don't care if it was Buddha or anybody. So it's a lot of manipulation in that. And we were born about five times in these, you know, these scriptures. So if 6,000 years ago they was able to take a mind frame on us with Jesus and God and Buddha and Allah, then we need to stop teaching these things because these are not our religions. We are not Buddhists, we're not chemists, we're not any of that because we don't know what we were because too many things have been changed according to our history. Last but not least, I just want to say this. We got to understand the difference between racism and prejudice. A lot of people might not agree with what I'm saying, but I'm going to speak it anyway. I am a racist because I feel that my race is very superior. We owned everything here. And we have been manipulated and we are destroyed and we are also in poverty because of the manipulation of leading us to believe that we were nothing but a bunch of dogs or animals sniffing for something other than freedom. But without prejudice, I am not a racist because of somebody being white, homosexual, green, purple, blue, or orange. 
I understand we cannot fight oppression with oppression. So with that being said, the 1% is multiculturally fighting us because they understand that they need one individual from each background or ethnic race in order to control the population of the slaves, which is the 99%ers. So when we say unity, a revolutionary will have the mindset of loyalty before royalty, death before dishonor, and they will also rebel to the law and stop adhering to these laws and the unjust system by teaching the common laws of the land, practicing that, and stand behind that by any means necessary. So I really appreciate you letting me speak. Thank you very, very much. But that's just some of the things that I feel that a revolutionary mindset should touch bases on. And once we let all of these biased things go, because the colors that we're given, they're not our colors. The titles that we have is not our titles. And until we can all go back to being Benjamites or Tasmanians or Madagascarians and all the lost tribes of who we are and not just Israel, then we will understand what we're fighting for. Power to all of the people that all the oppressed people. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, and that's that's some real stuff. I'm I'm agree wholeheartedly with the internationalism. I think that the revolutionary, a a revolutionary is an internationalist. You know, that's where the whole thing, the title, the first thing of us calling ourselves revolutionary, understanding that we're international. That we're anti-oppression wherever you may find oppression. I think though that the American Revolution, the revolutionary in America, is a unique revolutionary. I think that when you look at revolution um, in other places that have their cultural revolution, their national revolution, their identity revolution wasn't as 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 prominent an issue as it is with us. We look at Mao Zedong and the Chinese Revolution. Hell, there was no question that Mao was Chinese. Hades. When you look at the Haitian Revolution, Tucson, Louisville, Bukman, Vaseline, there was no question that they were Haitian. Same with Cuba. You know what I'm saying? Well, Che was, I think, Argentinian, but uh, Fidel and everybody were Cuban, so it was no question. When dealing with the revolution in America, and we have had a revolution in America, and we are engaged in a revolution in America, and we have political prisoners behind us, so let us never forget that. I want to throw that in there. Let us never forget that, that they are political prisoners who have engaged in revolutionary struggle here on the shores of North America. But when, when talking about ours as, a, as Africans here in America, I think that one of the issues is that especially when we say black nationalist or a nationalist revolution, the issue of nationality has to be addressed. And that's always going to be that's going to be uh, one of the major points of contingent between the various groups. But my premise, my whole thing on that is taking nationalism from the standpoint of a shared common experience, a shared common experience of racism, of uh, blatant and intentional hindrance and obstruction of evolution of any people with color, despite what we're calling ourselves, is one and the same. I always say this, when we're pulled over by the police, when we're subjugated to biased legislation and laws in their courtroom, they could care less what, our, what we call ourselves. They see niggers. 
They see niggas pretending to be something else. I come in there in some Islamic thobe and with a, a key fire, and they say, oh, they come in there, they say, look at that nigga, think he's Muslim. You come in there with your cross, look at that Christian nigga. Other come with his family, they say, go Morris, nigga. I mean, they know it's still like the, either the preceding that or ending that title is a nigga to them. So I think that our nationality, our identity, is only a point of contingent for us. They don't have a problem murdering us. They don't. They, they could care less what we perceive ourselves to be. They see niggas. So that is my thing. Is like you were saying with the you know some call themselves Israelites, some Benjamites, some this. I'm not gonna argue the fact. Some call themselves Muslims. We've had Africa has had a very rich Islamic history. You know, me coming from being a Sunni Muslim, I, I Mansa Musa, known as Kantazuma, Songha, one of the first universities. You know what I'm saying? A lot of these were greatly Islamic influenced. Were they Arabs? No. I think that that has to be distinguished. But that's a whole other thing that we could go into as far as identity of, of, of African people. But I, it, it should be addressed, but I'm hoping for the revolution at the sake of, for the sake of revolution, that it doesn't become a point of divisiveness for us. I see too many of us into the arguments if, if we're comedic, if we're Moorish, if we're, if we're the true children of Israel, where did a Muslim come from, Negro, you ain't a Christian. You know, I see a lot of us getting to that, and those are things that should be addressed, but they should be addressed amongst us. Because one thing I'm going to tell you about this European, because Europe is not, like you said, Europe is just one country. Europe is a continent. So the thing about this European, he will agree on European supremacy. Look at him. When they're over here, man, you got Irish, Italian, um, Irish, French, uh, Russian, Bolshevikians, and all kind of people over here that look white, what we would classify as white. Amongst their own little groups, they know their ethnicity. They know their culture, but they don't allow that effect the white privilege or white supremacist power system. Now they get in their own little communities and they live amongst themselves, but they all agree to maintain a European sense of world dominant supremacy on African people. And they willy lynched us. They throw the various things out there for us to argue about. But the revolutionary says that we will deal with oppression. We're going to deal with this thing of oppression. We're going to deal with these tools of oppression. We're going to deal with the very things that keep us from being self-sufficient. So at this point in the game, like you said, if your religion is divisive, if you can't build with me because you're a Christian and your white Jesus don't allow you to build with heathens, goons, and goblins, then later for you, go on over there with your master. Same with any religion, Islam, Hebrew, Israelitism, whatever. If it hinders you from building with the collective, being a part of a collective or a black communalist understanding and economic, social cultural understanding, and later for you, go be with the people you emulate. They say imitation is a sincere form of flattery. So go to the people that you feel the need to flatter. You feel the need to act in such a manner that you're accepted. 
later for those people. But if you practice a way of life, if you happen to be a Christian, and your Jesus is a black revolutionary Jesus, and your Jesus is a Jesus of uplifting and building, and your Jesus is about African communalism, and your Jesus is about the liberation struggle, and you and your Jesus come on over here. And we, in different classes, we'll let you debate with our revolutionary theologians and, 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 and doctors and ministers, and y'all can pass that out right now. We have to be a united front. We have to start to shake off. We have to start to find ways and methods that we can start to build. We have to build this infrastructure in such a manner that we become self-sufficient so we can be afforded the luxury to pursue more intellectual debates. We're at each level. They have us survival. See, this is what creates the slave, too. We talked about individualism, but having them eke out survival, fighting for survival, creates slaves. Because when you have to worry about where your bread and meat is coming from, how I'm going to survive, how I'm going to, where I'm going to rest my head, how I'm going to pay my rent, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to do that, then it opens up avenues for some things that are less moral or, 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 or compromising to not just yourself, but to people. See, hunger is real. Homelessness is real. I'm talking from a position of knowing. Hunger is real. Homelessness is real. When you're facing these things, then you're a little more open to what may be presented to you that is not right and exact for your people. Some of it's selling dope, robbing, gangbanging, or selling out your people. Jesse Jackson. Al Sharpton. It's because it's real. When we become dependent. But when you become, when we become a self-sufficient people, when we become a people who are reliant on our own and we know that the resources are there and the means and ways are there within our community, then we're more apt to guard and preserve our community. So you're going to look out for what feeds you what clothe you, what shelter you. And they understood this. Don't we understand that they studied our, their students of revolution as we are? They're students of revolution just as well as we are. That's why they're, they're so, hey, this system, is that's why revolution is a unique one. They studied the Bolshevik Revolution, overthrow the Tsar. They they understood that monarchies don't work. They were part of a revolution to overthrow monarchy. So they said, well, we can't run our government. They offered George Washington a kingdom going to make you the king. It's in their history books. And he was supposed to be so noble. You know, their history books are hilarious when you read them. I mean, they will make a hero out of a cat chopping down a cherry tree. It is just awesome how they can get their propaganda is shit. Excuse my language, young people. So they say that they offered George Jackson. I mean, George Jackson. Long live the memory of George Jackson. George Washington to be the king, but he was so 
noble and so for the people, he turned it down. Uh, yeah, I don't believe that. I believe that you studied revolution and you understood that monarchies don't work based on your own revolution. So that didn't work. They studied tyrants. They studied death posts. They studied these people who ruled military rule of government and ruled with arms. So they hit you with words like democracy, free market. Pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Giving you, giving the illusion that you had an opportunity to rise above chance, above circumstance. Giving the illusion. But the revolutionary is one, this is when we talk about that consciousness, who becomes awakened and becomes aware that it's only an illusion. Malcolm was one such man. that said the American dream is an American nightmare. It's a nightmare for the African here, man and woman here. No longer will we be disillusioned. No longer we have to say, no longer will we willingly participate in a system that is not meant for the edification and advancement, for the building of not just all people, but specifically and particularly our people. Yet we're the biggest contributors and funders of this system. Are the biggest contributors and funders of the system, the biggest supporters of this system. Because they, like I said, they studied revolution, so they understood the power in the programs that the, some call the power in those programs, and it wasn't the grits, it wasn't the refurbished shoes, it wasn't the testing for sickle cell anemia alone. It was the ideological teachings that came with these things. It was the teachings of self-sufficiency and the, the working example of communalism, of what it looked, what self-determination looked like in these programs. And when they realized the influence and how it had not just in the streets of Oakland, but caught wildfire national, they understood that they had to take countermeasures. And they did it on every front, from physical intimidation to murder, assassination and slander, to even creating and implementing their own program so that they could feed us an ideology of inclusion, inclusivity, of both a culturalism, of diversity. Love that word, diversity. And we ate it up. We bit into it wholeheartedly. They started to parade their spokesmen for integration and assimilation before our faith. And we, 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 us being a visual people, see the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey understood how visual we were. This is why he had the pageantry and the uh, African Legion and the Black Cross and the motorcade and wore all the regalia, wore the beautiful uniforms. He understood we were visual people, so they paraded these Negroes in front of us with these cars and these suits and they 
get out looking good and got little bellies on them and you're eating. So we said we had a rock. See, that's how we, they pump us with individualism. We said we have a rock. Because we have this Masonic complex. We get one liquor. See, instead of all of us having sustenance, having enough to sustain some stability, we're fine if one of us making we, we arrive. We got a black president. Inclusion. We got a black. We, we got Dr. Martin Luther King. He sure is looking good. Look at that suit. Boy, ooh, ooh, we made it. And so we buy into it. And they give us these programs and things that they just, so we start to lose that desire, that yearning to be self-sufficient. Now it's not the thing to be. And we've been into the classism. See, we didn't have a, we started to, after emulating them, we've been into a classist understanding. I'm down here in Atlanta. Well, you got Morehouse, Historical Black College, and the HBCU. I'm not bragging on them because they were white-funded. We can get into I think I'm going to do another show on that for all of you HBCU alumni, all you intellectuals. I went to Howard. I went to Morehouse. We can get into that, how they were just an indoctrinating center. That's all it was. But nonetheless, don't let me digress. We digress. You find the universities in a black neighborhood, and the teachers lived around the university in the black neighborhood. So even our upper echelon, our so-called well-to-do folks, lived in the black community because we knew what we needed and we accepted one another. So we had the trickle-down effect all through our community. We knew our teachers. Teachers knew us. We knew our doctors. Doctors knew us. And when we've been into the forest of integration, when we've been into this assentless thinking, we've been into a classist understanding. Therefore, we distanced ourselves from the black community. We started looking at, we took on their morals and their ethics, and what they deemed successful, we deemed successful. The car, this car was a successful car. This is what made Cadillac. You were a success if you drove cats. If you were Brook Brothers or Hugo, you were a success. If you lived in this neighborhood, you were a success. We've been into the classes, understanding. And so our brother and sister who were getting by, who were living in the communities that didn't have these things, we turned our nose down at them. And they, and we begin, those of us in the community, the community began to disintegrate. And we into the hype. I want to be like them. And this is what success is. And we started to emulate, and, and but there was no good from it. But you can say at least, if there's an at least to integration, when we want to be successful, then they were striving. This is why they had to come out with the historical black colleges. Because they were striving to be from amongst at least, if there's an at least, the intellectual. You see, 
But when all the people couldn't be successful, this revolution rolled up, and we started understanding classism and materialism, they said all you niggas won't be successful. Let's get dope the community. And those of you that don't succumb to the drugs that sell it have an opportunity at success, have an opportunity at this materialism. It no longer matters how you obtained it as long as you obtained it. As long as you got it. It didn't matter the method like the sister said. We lost our morals. It no longer mattered if we were right and exact or if we were upright. As long as we possessed that material and the revolutionary had said enough. When the revolution because we've always been raising a revolution over here. Don't get that twisted either. There's always been a revolutionary mindset. Like you've heard me say, when the first African snatched that chain and said no, there was always a revolutionary mindset. So the revolutionary, the revolutionary understands the revolutionary understood the need to resist that. Now our revolutionary our revolution is taking a different form. The tactics must change. The goals and objectives are the same, but the tactics must change. This is what I know at least us as the people Black Panther Party is trying to breed this new revolutionary type. We are trying to cultivate and develop a new revolutionary type. The discrimination and the racism is no longer overt, as overt. It, it's just getting back there. But it's no longer as overt. The conditioning, the people no longer have that sense of communalism as we once shared back in the time of the third development. Consumerism and materialism is the order of the day. Got to get mine. It ain't even about stacking money no more. I told you the music is reflective. And look, when we was coming up and, and trying to get money, and it wasn't in the best manner, we would say stack money, fold money, get paper. New age, you got balling, been out of control. Shop, shop till you drop. You can have whatever you like. So it's not even about economic responsibility anymore. It's about the complete and total abandonment of any common sense, any sense, any self-restraint. We're over-sexified. We have exploited our women to the highest level of exploitation. I don't think that the black woman can be exploited any more than she's exploited. If she is, I, I, I don't even want to see it. If she can be exploited any more than she's exploited, I don't want to see it. It's as simple as turning on the television and the images my children have to see a black woman is, 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 is a travesty. And here I am combating that, telling them to grow up and respect black women. And I'll talk to I'm going to care more about a pussy than she do. be real. Because now even the women have gotten in the job of exploiting themselves. 
same when I was nothing. Can't turn on the TV without us being exploited. So the image is So what's this new revolutionary thing? What's this fight? We have to start from the base. We have to start from the base, and that very base is the inner you. It starts with you. It starts with a self-check. It starts with proper balance. It's like the sister said. It starts with knowing that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. It starts with understanding these things and using the scale of black liberation, using black liberation as your scale, as your moral compass to judge by. If it isn't advantageous for you, if it isn't advantageous for the people, stay away from it. Talk against it. Hell, shout it from the mountaintop. This is how we have to do. It has to start with us. And it will start with small groups. Let's get away from sensationalism. This is the most, I'm hoping in this new revolutionary type, my prayers for this new revolutionary type, is we get out of this age of entertainment, this age of sensationalism, this age of Facebook and every damn thing. Even to the point where we become exploited, we exploit our own people in need. If I see more and more of us, I don't have a problem with us showing ourselves and maybe the food stuff that we're feeding the people with. Take your pictures. The work that you're doing is wonderful. Maybe that will act as encouragement. But if I see one more picture of someone handing someone, a brother sister that's underprivileged, that's going through a hard time, that's just not quite right, taking a picture with them, exploiting them, putting their, their broadcasting that misery and anguish and that pain. If I see that one more time, I'm a scream. Where is the compassion? Where is the sensitivity? Have we become people that we need acclaim so bad, we need acknowledgement so bad that we would do it at the of our brother and sister? Expense of their misfortune. I was taught an old saying, and I grew up a Sunni Muslim, but I was taught an old saying from a Christian. There, for the grace of God, go I. There, for the grace of God, go I. When I want a camera in my face. Hey, Black Power, brother. I say, you take this sandwich, brother. I ain't going to tell you what you can do with this sandwich. Black Power, where's the power? In this sack lunch, this is a good band-aid for a man to fit you eat for a day. Teach a man a fish to eat for a lifetime and feed his family or her family. So the real revolutionary type is a new type. And this is what we hope to develop, cultivate in these times. This new revolutionary type is willing to confront the issues and take on the issues. To be courageous in their taking them on, and being upright and steadfast. Being upright and steadfast. And that's a tremendous thing. That alone, that alone will, 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 will start the ball rolling. It will go a long way to start gaining the trust in our community. 
we will start to regain the faith in one another. And it starts simple. Like I said, I'm hoping this new revolutionary time gets away from sensationalism. And we'll start with a group of two or three brothers. Us at the People's Black Panther Party are a very tight-knit group. We're very, we're very, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, when we allow you to enter into our cadre. We're developing cadres. We're developing cadres. We understand as studying our studying revolution, we understand that it's going to take the seed to spark our, it's going to take that spark to ignite the powder keg of the masses. Study the Vietnam the North Vietnamese people in the rice paddies and in the villages. They were trained by what they called the Vietnamese regulars. You had a few come down and would train the masses of people. So the people's black family party are actively training these and developing and cultivating revolutionary types who are ready to make the sacrifices and the commitment to go amongst the masses. And it's not easy. A lot of times you're maligned and brutalized, criticized, ostracized, shunned, chased away, told to shut up, ridiculed by your own people. But the revolutionary has fortitude and perseverance. The revolutionary is so consumed with love and compassion that not to go to his people would eat her, he or she up. They would ache inside. They would toss and turn in their beds. They can't be content with the current state. So they must go out and to the best of their ability try to alleviate some of the pain. But the revolutionary, again, when I tell you, brothers and sisters, it's practical. They're not foolish. They understand to alleviate some of the pain of the people is to teach the people first that you're in pain and how to alleviate that pain for yourself. Because a lot of our pain is self-inflicted, self-induced. We don't want to hear that. A lot of us don't want to hear that. See, it's easier to blame the white man. Now, I'm not saying that he's, he's innocent. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a multiculturalist. I'm not diversified. I'm not politically correct. Any of those things. Yes, he's guilty. Hell But at this time, me constantly pointing out his guilt doesn't alleviate a damn thing. He knows who he is better than you know who he is. The master plan. So how do we get from under this thumb? How do we start to maneuver in such a way that we can get from under this thumb? Let's go to Let's open our phone line. I believe it's uh, Sister Broody. Yes, it's me. Jenga. Okay, so I have a question for you. Because uh, you you were talking about about sensationalism, uh, which is a a tendency that, you know, we definitely have to combat. And I want to give you an example of uh, sensationalism that I've seen that really disturbed me. You know, you have, like, uh, this debate culture, right? Yes. Where, like, uh, you have folks go out, they do lectures and debate, and they kind of get a little oh, off no. of it. 
And I seen this one this one picture floating on the internet from one of those debaters. I don't I'm not sure their name is like maybe Shaka Amos or Shaner to one of them, but it was them standing up and they had two Europeans, a man and a woman, kneeling down on their knees with their hands on their heads, I guess to emanate their submission to them. So he was standing over them. And you remember in slavery, of course, you know, they would take the slaves, put their feet on them, rest on them, treat them like dogs and animals and uh, less than humans. So he was pretty much whoever this person was. I don't know their name. I apologize. But this picture uh, was depicting that reversal where the African was having the European commit. So these people, they want to be like their oppressors. For them, that is accomplishment. That is achievement because they have not fully grasped and understood exactly what's necessary for revolutionary action, revolutionary practice. So they have created in their minds and on their own what freedom looks like for them, and it's to exploit other people. So it's not cute to me. I don't know if it's accidental or on purpose, but... As revolutionaries, it's our responsibility to uh, deal with contradictions. Now, I, I want to declare war on that type of behavior, but I also want to be strategic as well. Do you have any type of um, ideas or uh, something that you may think about could be aid us in of ridding ourselves of that parasitic type of culture because it has our people fishing for that type of reality who because they don't fully understand what's required of them. So they think that that's what we're searching for. How do we combat those type of tendencies? Wow. And that, and that is a good question, and it's very real. It's, it's something that's like, I think now what, what we're finding now, especially in this, and sisters like yourself and me and other progressive revolutionary organizations out there are standing up. I think too long we, we I don't want to say cowards, but we kind of played the back. We allowed this type of sensationalism, the empty rhetoric, these very flamboyant and charismatic black speakers to step out and to use of the language like the very least, the title revolutionary, and we didn't check them. We never came up and said, you know what, that is not revolutionary philosophy, revolutionary ideology. That's some other shit. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying which one is some other stuff. Unless we're saying, as a revolutionary, that's wrong, that's neoclassical. Like, to me, I mean, it's, it's you're emulating to say, how can you come out and talk about Uncle Tom's and turn around and be a conscious Uncle Tom. I, I call that Uncle Tom because you're simulating and assimilating the very nature of the beast that you're talking about or doing the same things that you say were oppressive to your people. So I don't think that, you know, if anything, like I'm not a big fan of this debate culture. I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. But if we have revolutionaries, then they should start debating these sensationalists. They should start combating this stuff. I think that revolutionary ideology and understanding has to be taught, has to be out there. We have to start to, you know, really not because we have been nice for the sake of unity, 
the sake of all getting along, we've allowed these Negroes to hijack the movement, to come out with this bullshit, to, to speak in the name of us as some type of black leader, some type of revolutionary black leader, and it has been wrong and erroneous. And when we do come out and speak out against it, we, us revolutionaries, haven't supported those who have had courage to say, man, that ain't what the hell we're talking about. That's not revolution. So I think that take us as revolutionaries to rise up and take back the revolutionary movement. If it's a black supremacist movement, if it's a black Muslim movement, if it's a black Hebrew movement, let them have that. Have them to say that. Don't come in here with your black Muslim shit about revolution. It isn't. That's not what that is. You know that's not what that is, black man. And the revolution has to say that. Am I saying the black Muslim can't be a revolutionary? No. But I'm saying don't come in here teaching that as if that's revolutionary doctrine. Because it isn't. And we have to be like that. We have to be firm. We have to be firm. It's not a popular stance. It's not going to make us some of the, some of the most popular people. But if we're really sincere about what we're trying to do, that's the stance we're going to have to take. That's what we're taking at the People's Black Panther Party. We don't, we don't knock anybody for their religion. But if you come in here teaching that like a supreme ideology, disguised as revolution, we're going to bash that shit. We're going to knock it in the head. I don't care what it is. And I grew up a traditional Sunni Muslim. If you come in here Sunni Muslim, talking that like it's revolution, I'm going to bash your coffee off your head. Ideologically, that is. You know what I'm saying? Shame with Christian, I'm going to bash you so hard with the ideology, your cross will fall off your neck. If you come as that being a revolutionary ideology and the supreme understanding. So the revolutionary must stand up. He or she must be bold, straightforward, direct, and to the point uncompromising, unwavering in our ideology, in our philosophical views you know, and, and, and opinions, and our strategies. That's that's what it's gonna take. So that would be you know, that would be my advice to that. And so, you know, I hope that that we're living in such a time, brothers and sisters. We waited, we waited, we waited, and now this time is upon us. We're probably one of the most erratic, irrational. Presidents, we've seen the White House. I mean, we've had Nixons, we've had Reagans, but one that so blatantly come in and not have anything contested from the Congress to the to the Senate, and to come in with, I mean, just blatant discriminatory laws. And these are fillers. We say, well, shit, what I got to do with the Muslim man? Those those are those are what you call your fillers out there. See, it's like somebody in your neighborhood in a house, and you see the sucker going in your neighbor's house, and you don't go, you don't say nothing because it wasn't your house. Well, what do you think going to happen a week later when you go to work? Think that same sucker ain't going to break any house? So we see them putting the fillers out there. They tested the mantle of people. They tested the tolerance of people. They tested the level that he can get. They can get away with. And so we see these things coming. 
And so now more than ever, the revolutionary must stand up for the sensationalism, the empty rhetoric, the debating. The march back up and down the street is not going to be enough to sustain us. It's not going to be enough to sustain us if we don't start practicing self-sufficiency. I'm just hoping it's not too late to start to really exercise a lot of, because a lot of us are ready to go to very radical steps, but we still have the map because it's all power to the people, the power lies in the people, the populace. So we still want to attract as many of the masses as we can and to avoid an elitist mentality. So to get them to see the power in their spending, See, we can influence a lot of stuff if we just change our behavior, especially in a capitalist society. They use as their strength is also their weakness. The money they use as their strength is also their weakness because it has to come from somewhere. And it has to come from who? You, the consumer. You, the consumer. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. It comes from you, the consumer. It's as simple as stop buying. Fighting these, when we talk about that resistance movement, fighting these urges and impulses in us to have every goddamn thing, even those things that aren't beneficial. Gotta have it, gotta have that, gotta have it. Got that new whatchamacallit out, boy. Got the new bicycle, got the new car, got the new toys. Gotta have it, gotta have that. So the very thing that empowers them is the very thing that will be their demise and undoing. Once we as a people understand that power lies in our hands and that the only thing stopping us is our lack of controlling our desire. Once we learn to control our desires, believe the dynamic will start to change. Then we can go into phase two of the operation because that's the phase two of the operation going to come. That's when you see the repression. See, if they can't get you to commit to enslaving yourself to your greed and your lust and your consumerism and materialism, that's when they put a phase two and start to force you to comply to certain things. And that's when we go to phase two. But it starts with educating our people to check themselves, to be able to control their urges and desires. That's what it comes from. And until then, we will always be subjugated to their whims. Subjugated to their whims. We are too comfortable living in this society. We have become real comfortable. It should bother us, the state of Africans here in America. It should bother us. Some nights it should keep us sleepless. To know how all this, this this nation was built and all this wealth obtained and all of this wealth being spent out and the unaccountable spending by us and the ignorance and the apathy practiced by our people. We don't care about nothing. We talk all the Bible that that's all worried about. We don't talk about a future as a race of people. When you talk about someone about their future, you hear them talk individually about their future, their pursuits, their educational pursuits, their career goals, not as a race of people, not where they see themselves 
amongst a mighty race of people. You say, what about your people? Crabs in a barrel, my nigga. Crabs in a barrel. I constantly say, why must we be looked at that way? The crabs in a barrel. So I have a crab trying to pull you back. How come that crab can't be saying, pull me out of the barrel with you? But you know my saying, when they pull the crab, if they both knew what was outside the barrel, he wouldn't pull the crab back in. Or maybe he knows what's outside the barrel. Saying, don't go out there, they're going to put you in the boiling pot. We have to stop measuring one another and seeing one another in the eyes of our enemies. In the eyes of our oppressor, our colonizer, our enslaver. That's the only way to really guarantee our success and our continuance. To understand that we are an African people, that our experience is unique, and we must have strategies and tactics that are unique to us. That's the biggest thing. This is the new revolutionary type. This is what the new revolutionary must understand. To go into this thing with a whole different mind, this be nostalgic or romantic, but to be real. I'm sorry, but to be real. I want to give out our number again. For the People's Black Panther Party. Give out our number one more time, just in case as we start to round down to the last 15 minutes of our show. 595-7277-888-595-7277. Give us a call if you're interested in in, in um, membership. Inquiring about membership or more about or just trying to figure out more about what the party is about. What separates us? What is this new revolutionary type that we're trying to cultivate and develop? Which we've seen a big thing going on about unity. And so, you know, the people are like, Well what what is making you guys different? And the phone and our number will be working by Wednesday. It's not as right now operational, but Wednesday it will be up. Again, let me get that number one more time. 888-595-7277. The phone line will be operational Wednesday. To find out some of the things that we're doing, or like I said, to inquire about membership, to get in on some of these classes on how we're trying to cultivate this new revolutionary type. Man, we're going into this thing realistically, brothers and sisters. I don't know that anyone else going to have time to worry or focus on any other formation or what they're doing in their internal. But I know what we're trying to accomplish and achieve. I have some of the most prolific scientific minds, if you ask me, social scientists looking at the needs of our people and ready to address them, and not just short-term, not just what, like um, my um, chief national chief talks about, not just a project, not just short-term projects, but long-term programs. 
building that infrastructure, inspiring them that urgency, that sense of urgency, that need to develop self-determination for them to know the need and how imperative it is for them to develop that self-determination, to get back to that natural state. What doesn't like That in itself is a sickness. Be able to rely on its own, not individually, but its collective, its type, for its, for its continuancy, continuance, continuance, for its advancement. We have to understand that we have been living an unnatural life, brother, something very unnatural. And it's so unnatural that it has been counterproductive. Good to see our minister. Back on. I didn't know if she wanted to chime in. But it, it, it has been counterproductive. So this revolutionary type, revolutionary mindset that we're trying to create is simply saying this. It is one going back to a natural state of being. It is a mindset that says I want to go back to my natural state of being. I'm tired of the artificial cultivation that has been going on for my people right in America. The fact that I've stepped out of my door and looked at another African and say good morning in English means that there's a problem. The fact that when I run up to the corner store and go in and spend, going in there is holding their hands and collecting money in my neighborhood that doesn't reflect me in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Not unless you've got some of those who played your monkey self and assimilate to put on a baseball cap so they can call you my nigga. That's the damnest thing I've seen. Storker, yeah, my nigga, talking to black people straight from Bangladesh. I wish one of them would. I guess they look at me and know not to come out of their mouth like that. But that the fact that it doesn't bother us to give our dollars away to people who don't reflect us in any way, shape, form, or fashion is unnatural. The fact that when we walk past a group of black people and become fearful is unnatural. We have to fear ourselves. It's unnatural. Whether it's justifiable fear or not, the fact that fear is there is unnatural. The state of our community, unnatural. The exploitation of our women, misogyny, the sexualization of our women, unnatural. The liberation, the effeminization, the unemployment, the unemployment, the lack of masculinity in our men are unnatural, very unnatural. So we must start to defy these things again, and the way to defy these things is to make a people feel their self-worth. See, when people have self-worth, you can't subdue, subjugate people to any type of behavior. What's natural about that is they will naturally rebel against making you can't make a queen into a whore. You can't make a king into a coward. It's impossible. It's impossible. But what will give them these feelings, what will bring them 
to this understanding is being able to do for self. Being able to see it reflected in our communities. And that's going to take a revolution, brothers and sisters. Our phone lines are open. In our last, uh, what is this, a reading glasses here. In our last eight minutes, for anybody that wants to, with any comment, question about anything that you heard, agree, disagree, this is your program. It's an opportunity for you to address these things, People's Black Panther Party, Independence, Black Talk Radio. I'm your I'm your host, your man Chad Yang and Krumah. Um, like I said, man, it's always a pleasure to the brothers that are listening to have the opportunity to espouse our views and our opinions and to share with you what we're trying to accomplish. Because to reiterate a statement I made earlier, we take this thing serious. It has gotten very serious, brothers and sisters, and the time is now. If never before, the time is now. We have to tighten our game up and step it up to a level to to a level that to at least to the uh, um, at the least extent secure our self sufficiency, our secure our our secure our key. Uh, continent to uh, secure our continuance because we're falling off. And when I say falling off, you've heard me say this before, I'm not talking about the physical man. I'm not talking about the physical African here in America. I'm talking about the philosophy, the ideology, the identity of an independent, prideful, not pride in the sense of arrogance, but pride in the sense of self-worth and not succumbing to anything that would make it other than that is what they're trying to destroy and murder off. And I tell you this, my brothers and sisters, man, I love you because you are a mighty people, and you come from a mighty people. So in our last um, five minutes, You know, we're running down. I'm telling you, in our last five minutes, give me what we'll do. The moment, you know, I can't multitask here. Let's do this in our last five minutes. In our last couple minutes we'll get our son to uh, to 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 give us to to take us out. All power to the people, black power. Yeah, good job. So with that being said, man, I'm the chairman, Daniel Krupa, People's Black Panther Party, Independent Black Talk Radio. I I greet I leave you as I greet you with all powers to the people, all powers to oppressed people. 
African people, African people, and black power. 